Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 25. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those whose sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. When this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where those have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Peter Davies. Um, and with my wife, Anne, we attend the 4pm service here at the branch. Uh, just a small matter before we start. We were in Sydney two weeks ago and caught up with Carl Dienick, our former pastor who's working at the Sydney Missionary Bible College, SMBC. He's doing well. Uh, we had a meal together at a local Thai restaurant. He seems to be thriving in his new work and living arrangement. So that's good news. Uh, this is going to be a shortish talk this morning. Uh, so I've set some homework for you, which I will give you uh, at the end of the talk. Um, so there are two very important times of the year that we especially remember the life of Jesus. They were built into our calendar. Uh, his birth, we obviously celebrate at Christmas time. 
and his death and resurrection at Easter. Both are essential. If you're not born, you're unable to die. But for me, Easter's story is the much more important. Why did a young man, apparently in good health, aged 33, die a horrible, cruel, painful death on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago? Why? How many times have you heard the story? If I told you how many times I'd heard it, I would give my uh, age away. Uh, for many of us, we've heard it so many times, and many, many times. The question that I want to raise today is, what impact does the death and resurrection of Jesus have on us as individuals and together as believers? Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the privilege of being here together today. Thank you for each person that you've brought along here to share in this time together. Thank you that we can celebrate your death and resurrection. Thank you, Father, that we live this side of the cross. Thank you for this perspective that it gives us. It helps us to understand an awful lot of history to be this side of the cross. We commit this time to you, ask that your Holy Spirit would be with us, guide our thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, let's turn to the text, verses 5 to 7 in Hebrews 10. Uh, first, Jesus said about himself, and this is quoted from Psalm 40, a sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. This is the change from the old covenant, which, we, which was read to us earlier, the story in Hebrews 10, with its repetitive sacrificial system to a new covenant brought in by one sacrifice made once and only once for all. Under this system, there is no further sacrifice for sin required. Um, it's been done once by Jesus and once for eternity. Uh, let us look briefly at the Old Testament described in the book of Leviticus. I've got a little cheat sheet here in front of me. Um, so Leviticus 1 to 7, um, there are sort of many offerings, but I'm just going to go through them very quickly, okay? There's the burnt offering, the meal offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering. Uh, the gifts vary a little bit, but they're bulls, sheep, goats, doves, pigeons, fine flour, parched grain with oil, salt, frankincense, uh, lambs, goats, males and female, uh, a kid or two, turtle doves, young pigeons, or one-tenth of an ephah of flour. Um, that's a lot of things to remember and get in sequence. Uh, the priests work. There were a lot of priests required. Uh, there was a high priest, but there were an awful lot of priests. Uh, God's portion of this sacrifice was most of it because it was burnt and offered at the altar. Uh, our portion was very limited, as, or the people's portion was very limited. Uh, most of the things that weren't burnt were given to the priests. Uh, so the, the priests, for example, got the skin, uh, the breast, the shoulder, uh, all that 
was left of the meat that, couldn't, that hadn't been burnt up. Um, and they did various things. Uh, so, for example, the peace offering, Christ is our peace offering. So Jesus took on all those five offerings that I mentioned and uh, covered them all. So Christ gave himself as a whole burnt offering. Uh, Christ is our peace offering. Christ is our sin offering. And Christ is our trespass offering. So he wrapped up all those offerings. Can you even comprehend, start to comprehend what was involved in this system? But it was the system in place and was dutifully carried out. It pointed all the time, even though the Israelites probably did not understand it clearly, to the coming of Christ. And he would make all those sacrifices in the one sacrifice. So as I've said, he became our burnt offering, our life and work, thank offering, our peace offering, etc., all without any further sacrifice. Uh, read it in Leviticus, apparently one of the most underread books in the whole Bible. It's quite a complex read, so you need to spend time doing it. But in the end, uh, you'll be able to understand it. And it's made so much more sense we're living this side of Jesus coming so we can understand how he fulfilled all those sacrifices. Verse 11 in our passage uh, it was beautifully read, like day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Uh, but they could never take away sins, these sacrifices. The priest was doing what he had to do, but never achieving any long-term result. He couldn't even slacken off and not do it properly. He had to persist in following the ritual. And people were trapped too. So many animals offered, so much grain. And the priest got most of what was burnt on the altar. Verse 12, after Jesus uh, had sacrificed, he sat down at the right hand of God. The one sacrifice was enough, verse 14, for by one sacrifice he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Verse 16, I'll put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. This is the work that Jesus did. Verse 17, then their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Remember no more is a rather three-word expression for saying forget. I will forget their sins. And then verse 18, no further sacrifice of sin is ever required. It's all been done. Then my talk is entitled Because, Therefore. Because we've just been talking about, so it's all that history of the sacrificial system, Jesus coming, the one perfect sacrifice. Therefore, what, what does it mean? And verse 19, you'll see, starts with the word therefore. So that's what we're going to concentrate on. How are we to live, verses 19 to 25? So there are three imperatives. That means necessary things that we must do. Let us draw near to God in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast to our confession without wavering and let us consider one another. First one, let us draw near, or you could say let's come to God the Father. Let's come to God through what Jesus has done. 
Let's not reinvent our salvation. Let's not try to bring more offerings for our sin. They could be good works or generosity or anything you might like to try and do, but they're pointless. Um, so don't go down that path. All can draw near to God, but only through the sacrifice of his son. Maybe you've never accepted this invitation before. This gift is free. You need to ask for forgiveness to accept it. If that's where you are, don't hesitate, don't wait. Let's all of us stop trying to fix our sins ourselves before we come to God. Unfortunately, after accepting salvation, we continue to sin. Who hasn't sinned already today? Let those sins not be a barrier to us relating to God the Father. What does draw near mean? It has come close to someone, physically and spiritually. There needs to be complete trust and confidence that this is the best place to be. We need to feel like that with God because he's totally trustworthy and there's no better place to be. We need to be there mentally as much as we can at all times, not just in times of trouble, when there is heightened felt need. It needs to be habit forming. I'm here on earth, but actually I'm with my heavenly father at the same time. I have drawn near to him. With our heavenly father, we don't need to worry, worry if it's, or wonder if it's okay to approach him. He's not fickle or quick to anger. He will always act appropriately. He will never be unaware of our need. He will never be unable to fulfil it. He will never be unavailable to listen. And he will never be unwilling to help. He is accessible and responsive to our daily concerns. That's the first point. We need to draw near to God. Second point, verse 23, hold fast. Hold fast to what? It's a promise. It is the gospel. Hold fast to the gospel. We really need to understand the gospel properly so that we can hold on to it. Briefly, the gospel is Jesus has paid the price with his blood. He has and is carrying the punishment that is ours for our sinfulness. So if you want to think about it, we can go this way. Who is Jesus? What has he done? Why did he do it? That's the who, what, why of Jesus. So who is Jesus? He's God's one and only begotten son. What has he done? He's paid the price for the sin of each person in this building. Why did he do it? Well, Graham didn't quite read on to Isaiah 53 verse 6, but that says, all we like sheep have gone astray. So why did he do it? Because we're sinful and to bring us back to God. So that's the who, what, why of the gospel. We need to remember those things about Jesus. Hold fast. When you go up to Marion's, who's been up to Marion's lookout? A lot of people, great. It's a very steep climb from Dove Lake towards the Cradle Mountain. Towards the top, there's a chain link 
handrail uh, to hang on to. It's attached to steel posts that have been drilled into the dolerite and fixed. It's solid and you can trust it and hold on to it. Who's held on to it? Everybody holds on to it. <laughs> you need to use it preferably at all times, but certainly when it's wet and icy because the rocks are incredibly slippery. Also, it's fairly essential on descent. It can be hard work hanging on. If it's cold and icy and you don't have gloves, it can be painful to hold fast to a metal chain, but you must hold fast. Likewise, you must hold fast to the gospel. Who, what, why, hang on to it. Verse 24, the third point, let us consider how we may spur one another to love good deeds, not giving up meeting together. We are not to live as Christians in isolation. Drawing near to God and holding fast to what we believe is not enough. That leaves us potentially in isolation. Um, I just want to tell you a story that was released this week. There's an American Christian missionary in Niger, where Anne and I served. Um, his name's Jeffrey Woodkey. And he was released this week after being a hostage for six and a half years. Um, he was an, a humanitarian aid worker in the country of Niger, helping nomadic people in that part of the world. Apparently, he's been chained for up to 16 hours most of those days for six and a half years. He'd been working faithfully in this part of the world before being taken hostage in 2016. So no doubt he's been isolated as a believer for six and a half years. Um, that's not normal, but it will be fascinating to hear his story uh, as he recovers from that ordeal and see how he's suffered and managed in isolation as a believer. And I believe it'll be a great story to hear and it'll prove that you can actually live as a believer in isolation. But that's pretty harsh. Um, so we're not actually called to do that, thankfully. Um, so keeping ourselves in God's love is not an individual pursuit, but it's a corporate uh, endeavour, cultivating deep and honest friendships with others who love God helps us also to love God. If we desire to grow in faith, we should seek the company of godly friends. We need to strategize on this, consider how we can work on this together. Our culture is very much geared to doing what is good for you, for me. So working together for the common good can be a real challenge. So we have to submit to each other to obey this command. There are three parts under this category of considering one another. Stir one another up to love and good works. Stir is to agitate, stir one another, agitate one another, spur one another on to two things, love and good works. 
We're all good at that, aren't we? Love must be the hardest thing to do. To truly love another person, very difficult. Perfect love is to give up your life for the other person. We are not able to do that and we cannot come near to that by ourselves because we're selfish. We value ourselves too much. We need God's help with this by the Holy Spirit living in us. We need to help each other to recognise when we are not loving others and how we can love others in a more godly fashion. How can we start loving each other? A simple word of encouragement. You could go and, or I could go and visit someone. We could offer to help someone. Uh, if we hear or know that someone's not travelling very well at present, we could pray for them or visit them or support them in some way. We can show love. It's fairly simple, probably, in many ways, but we need to actually be actively thinking about doing it. What about it's love and good works? Well, it's pretty clear we're not saved by good works, but we're challenged to do them. Good works can be many things. Interestingly, the Bible tells us that they are arranged already by God for us to do. So we need to be on the lookout for them and also help point others in the congregation towards them. It's our responsibility to empower each other to grow in other-oriented service, serving others. This is a critical element of mentoring others. We aren't just filling them with information or providing accountability. We're in their corner, helping them identify opportunities to serve and give. We're equipping them with eyes that see needs and hearts that long to help. Doing good works will take up your time. It will take you out of your comfort zone and it will bring frustration at times. But that's what we're called to do because of what Jesus has done. This passage is quite clear. We're to be showing love and we're supposed to be doing good works. And the third point, don't neglect meeting together. The second point. We should not believe that being a Christian is reduced to a personal relationship with Jesus. It is more than that. There are cultural forces that keep us alone. Do not succumb to those. Open your home to getting people over to share a meal or do an activity together. Don't neglect meeting together. I want to give you an example from Anne and my experience in Niger. Um, we we're in a city of about two or 300,000 people and we found an evangelical church to attend. And going to church there was a challenge. Um, the service went for three to four hours, uh, 9 a.m. through till about one. Uh, because of our language, it was in Hausa language, it was an African language translated into French, which is neither of those languages are that good in our brains. Um, but we felt really committed that we need to go to church and be in fellowship. Uh, it was hot, uh, temperatures in the mid-30s, usually on a Sunday morning. Uh, we didn't really understand a fair bit of what was going on, but we persisted in going and kept going faithfully each Sunday morning. And 
My wife joined the Women's Fellowship on Saturday afternoon. That was even more challenging. Um, they talked very rapidly together. There was no translation from Hausa, so it was the one language. It was baking hot on a Saturday afternoon, about 40 degrees. The roads were often dug up. Um, so the whole thing was difficult, but Anne persevered in going along to that. Um, there was a Friday night prayer meeting, 6.30 till 8, and uh, both of us went to that at times. I went to it more often. We felt really committed to going to the prayer meeting, and that was very difficult because there's no twilight when you live close to the equator, so it goes dark suddenly, and coming home was a nightmare. Uh, in, the road might be wet or dug up. Uh, traffic lights seemed to be optional for about one in four drivers. Uh, the roads, there's no different word for road, footpath or lane. Uh, so the road is public space for everybody. So children are wandering around in the dark at night. There's donkeys and carts on, without lights on. There's bicycles without lights. And there's cars with one headlight that you think are a motorbike. And there's all sorts of things. And it's just very tricky coming back. But we persisted in being involved in fellowship there. And we benefited dramatically from that. But in fact, what was interesting was that the pastor told us that the congregation had benefited just from our effort of actually going there week in, week out to as many things as we could and being involved. So we must not give up meeting together. It's really important. It's, uh, you come here not for yourself, that's part of it, but you come here for the other people that are in fellowship here. And then we're to encourage one another, especially as the day, draw knees, draw, day draws near. What day, you can argue, but it's probably the day of Christ's return. No matter, encourage one another. We are different to the world. We're not competing with each other here. Um, we're cooperating with each other for the greater good. We want all of us to succeed. Not a few. We want each person to be able to stand tall in their faith. We want to build each other up in love. It's not adversarial at all. It's like having a football game where both teams kick to the one end. Um, that's what we're really doing. Words and actions are ways to encourage each other. Words are so important. Words that help, not words that discourage, not selfish words but words that seek the best for the other person. One critical example in our fellowship here is the growth groups. They have a central role in how we encourage each other. They are places where you can bounce ideas of, each, of, of other Christians in a safe environment. They're, they are areas where you can be greatly encouraged. So, because, therefore, this is the summary, draw near, Draw near to God, hold fast to your faith, consider one another, stir one, other, one another up to love and good deeds, don't, don't neglect meeting together and encourage one another. Remember the gospel, who, Jesus, what, died for our sins. Why? Because we've all gone astray. There's homework, I promised. So I want you to go home and read 
the first 17 verses of John 15. It's the passage where Jesus says, I am the vine. But especially verses 5 to 9, if you're short of time, verses 5 to 9 will do nicely. And that says, Jesus says, remain in me. This is coming close to Jesus. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's done his work here. He says, remain in me, stay in me. But the added thing there in that verse, and it's verse, verse 5, remain in me and I in you. It's a two-way thing. It's not just like we're clinging to the vine with no returning energy. Remain in me and I in you. And that's the drawing near to God beautifully explained. So I'd like you to go home and meditate on that. Don't have to do it today. Maybe John 15, just remember that, the passage about I am the vine. You can read it during the week. Imprint it in your mind. I will leave, leave you with a verse um, written 136 years ago by a lady, I don't know who she is, Eliza Hewitt. So I give her the credit. And these are the words, it's just one stanza. More about Jesus would I know. More of his grace to others show. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. Amen. <clears throat>